two great things happened yesterday for me. Um, I got to officiate at a wedding in Wausau for a young couple that attended the bridge for the last couple of years, and that uh, was Luke Pan and Sarah Pitts. Uh, some of you will know them. They were students for two years here, and that was uh, really fun. The second great thing that happened to me yesterday, I got to celebrate my 38th birthday, and I'm feeling really good. I had a party, and nobody came, um, but 38 years New life in Christ, and uh, I'm pretty excited about that. I did text my wife yesterday, and she celebrated with me. Um, But that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, your identity in Christ. And uh, this series is called Christianity 101, and we want to start out with some basic things. Our message today is kind of Christianity 101 with a little Christianity 102 and some Christianity 201 mixed in. So just be patient with me. You'll see you have an extended outline. That's intentional because there's a lot of things we're going to talk about. We're going to look at a lot of verses, and some of those are going to be marked out for you so you can be sure and take them home uh, if you want to have those listed out. So in October 2011, the Associated Press ran a very uh, moving story in Mumbai, India. The story described how 285 girls were given the name at birth Nakusa or Nakushi, which in Hindi, the primary language of India, means unwanted. How would you like to be given the name unwanted? This unwanted name is often given to girls by families in India who value sons more than daughters. And so when known, sometimes daughters are aborted or they're neglected, left for death, or given to an orphanage. Last October, 285 girls were renamed in a public ceremony. And the news article reported this. The 285 girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes, braids, and bows in their hair, lined up to receive certificates with their new names, along with small flower bouquets. Some of the girls chose new names that mean prosperous, beautiful, good, and even very tough. One girl, who had been named Nakusa by her grandfather, who was disappointed with her birth, said... Now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by my new name, and this makes me very happy. That's a good story. A new identity. There were people at birth given a poor identity, a devalued identity, unwanted, given a new name with new meaning, a new identity. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given a new identity. That's what we talked about last week. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's loaded with meaning and significance. I want to review a little bit from last week. Again, you have an extensive outline. I want to encourage you to stay with me. Some of it's going to be review. The more you hear it, it's going to click and make sense. Some things you hadn't thought about before are going to make sense. So please stay with me. I'm going to start with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is kind of a basic passage we began with last week. For it is by grace you've been saved. Key thought. By grace 
God's unmerited favor. Something we don't deserve, okay? Have been saved. Already happened. It's not something you do over and over and over and over again. It's already happened if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It's through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's not about you. It's not about your achievement. Not about what you could do. It is the gift of God. I hope spend, you spend the rest of your life just soaking that in. What grace is. It's a gift. Gift of God. We just so often want to pay back or earn it. That's not what this part is about. There's a place to follow God and honor Christ the way you live. But it's not about your position in Christ if you've already placed your faith in Christ. It's not by works so that no one can boast. So here we go. Some, some review. Our position in Christ is based on the following items. Next slide, please. Our position in Christ is based on the following. Number one, it's based on... It's not based on our feeling or experience. It's really important to be reminded of because so often we sort of, do I feel safe today? Do I feel like God loves me today? Do I feel God's presence today? That's not what this is about. It's not about you and your feelings. It's about God's truth. Uh, it's not based on feelings or experience. Secondly, it's not progressive it does not improve or get better because it was perfect when giving, given. You're not going to change it. You're not going to make it better. And you're not going to make it worse. It's not about your performance. Okay? So this is review. Just be clear about this. Thirdly, it's not achieved by us because there was no goodness or merit in us that caused God to give us his gifts. It, your position in Christ. We're talking about your salvation. It's the whole package. We could list out at least 33 different things that together make up your position in Christ or your, what we call your salvation. It's a whole thing together. It's what the New Testament tells us about who you are. It's your identity in Christ, okay? Um, so, it's not achieved by us. I hope that's getting pretty clear by now. I don't mind repeating myself. I'll keep doing that. Um, it's a gift. You can do nothing. You can do nothing to earn your salvation. And please understand this. You can do nothing to keep your salvation. You are not good enough to keep your salvation. And you will never be good enough to keep your salvation. Be thankful. It's a gift. Okay? Some people think, you know, we're going to pay it back. We're going to try really hard. We're going to please God. And somehow God's going to say, okay, you got to keep it. It's not what this is about. Please understand that. Okay. Number five, it's based on, excuse me, number four, it's eternal. It lasts as long as the merits of Christ and his death. Eternal life is eternal. Please catch that. And it lasts as long as Jesus. And, uh, so it's not about, did I make a bad choice today? That's not what this is about. Your position in Christ, it's, it's the whole uh, of your salvation. Fifthly, it's based on the authority of God's word and his promises. It's based on God's authoritative revelation. It's not based on human reason or our best guesses. Number six, it's accomplished by God alone and not by us. 
It's just one more way to say this kind of the same thing I've said. It's accomplished by God alone. It does not depend on you. It does not depend on me. Never has, never will. Depends on Christ and him alone. You know, sometimes we get the idea that, well, Jesus died for me, and I believe that, but now I'm going to just keep making payments on it. You know, as if I could add to it. There's nothing you could ever add to what Jesus has already accomplished in your salvation. Okay, this is still review from last week. This new identity includes, and this is several scripture passages. We're not going to look at these. This is just review. Number one, given a new nature. That was 2 Peter 1.4, a new capacity to please God, a new nature. We had to get connected to God. It had to be a nature that came from God. He is the source. Uh, the next one is to be born again. This is what, how Jesus described it. There is a physical birth. Everybody gets a physical birth, but not everybody gets a spiritual birth or gets a chance for a second birth or born again. That's that key word. I need, to, I need to be born in a spiritual realm so I can be spiritually connected to God and have that nature that comes from God. You know, we say we want to help people connect with God. This is where it starts. We want to help people understand who Jesus is so they can be born again and receive a new nature. Um, given a new spiritual birth called regeneration, Titus 3, 4, and 5. It's another way to talk about it. The washing of rebirth. And the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, it's what it is. It's that second birth. And then we're called children of God, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Because we were born again, uh, born of God, given a new spiritual nature, now we are truly his children and we are part of God's forever family. That's what it means to be children of God. And that's going to make you and me brothers and sisters. Next, adopted by God as sons and daughters. Uh, We looked at this last week, and and the whole idea is that we are given all the rights and privileges of sonship. Uh, In the ancient culture, the eldest son got like the most of all the inheritance. He was favored, not necessarily favor, uh, uh, not necessarily uh, justice or fair, but that's the way they did it. And what the New Testament tells us, we are all, male and female, now, like eldest sons, we all get the same rights and privileges. There's an equality in what we receive in our salvation. But the New Testament drastically raises the position of women, drastically. Um, next, given the Father's inheritance, Colossians 1, 12 and 4, uh, 1, 12 through 14. The New Testament is Jesus' last will and testament. And with it, comes a great inheritance that is given to all who believe in Jesus and all the promises about the future, the inheritance, what's in heaven, what's waiting is given. And uh, you're given an inheritance if you're a follower of Christ. You're also made members of God's household, Ephesians two nineteen and 20. You're part of God's forever family. Uh, this is a term for the church, God's household. You're also, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, forgiven our sins, We have been pardoned in the court of heaven. It's a pretty great thing to be forgiven all of your sins. You know, sometimes we we come across, well, gee, I I have some things in my past that I I don't really want to talk about, but I don't know if God could really forgive me for those. And you know what? Absolutely, he can. He forgives all your sin. 
And when we grab a hold of that, that's pretty powerful. All your sin. Um, so let it be known, you are forgiven. Next, made alive with Christ, Colossians 2.13. We're not dead, but we are spiritually alive in Christ. Me for 38 years, but I was dead before that. I was spiritually dead. Now I have a new life, a, a spiritual connection with God. Uh, next, declared righteous in God's court of justice, Romans 5, 1 and 2. God looks at our account and he sees, oh, there's no deficit here. It's paid in full. Jesus died for you. I see that. Righteousness of Jesus goes to you. You are declared righteous. You don't deserve it. You never will deserve it. But here it is. It's a gift. Next, you've been reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. You've been changed from enemies of God to friends of God. Uh, you were in a conflicted relationship with God, and now you are restored. You were at enmity with God, and now you have harmony in your relationship with God. That's what it means to be reconciled. Next, given access to God, Ephesians 2.18. Now the door to God's throne is open to you, and you can now come to him in prayer. You're a child. You're an heir. You're an insider in the kingdom of God. And there's... Something else you need to know, if a person hasn't come to faith in Christ yet, they don't have access yet. They don't have the access that you have. You take that for granted sometimes. That's why it's so important that we share the good news. That's our mission. That's why we're here. That's why we exist, is to let other people know the good news about Jesus Christ. And last part of the review, we've been sanctified, that is set apart to serve God 1 Corinthians 6, 11. We've been sanctified. We've been uh, cleaned up. We've been washed so that we're now dedicated to God and ready to serve God. And sanctification always is for service. You weren't sanctified to sit and to soak. You were set apart. So now you're ready. Now God can use you. You don't have to have uh, 25 years of Bible knowledge. You just need to be cleaned up. You just need to say, God, here I am. I want to serve. And make sure you're spiritually clean, that's all. So now we're going to, we, that's some review. Now we're going to look at a few more truths that talk about your identity, your new position in Christ. These are more things that make up your salvation, the whole Consider it a whole package. The gift is a, an entire package here. Okay. So number one on your outline, our position in Christ has set us on a secure foundation. A secure foundation. Key passage, Romans 8, 1 and 2. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Let's see that. We don't have Romans 8, 1 and 2. There we go. Thank you. Um, therefore, there is now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, this is my wife, Sue's, probably just about her favorite verse. She has a lot of favorite verses like me. There is now no condemnation. Um, you may feel condemnation, but let me tell you what. It's not God. Because there is no condemnation from God for you who have been forgiven and pardoned already. Condemnation is about final judgment. 
Now, you may have self-condemnation. We do that sometimes. We, we get mad at ourselves and we condemn ourselves. We have psychological guilt sometimes where we allow the voices from the past to condemn us. You know, sometimes we hear a voice of a parent or a teacher or a coach and about like you're sort of like devalued a little bit and that we feel condemned, but that's just a feeling. God says you're not condemned, okay? So uh, know that. We are now free from God's condemnation. I don't deserve that. Truth is, I deserve to be condemned, but I've been pardoned. Next, B, we have been set on a secure foundation for life. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. By the grace God has given me. Get that? It's grace. God's favor. This is about my salvation, my position in Christ. I lay, This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. So what Paul is saying here is, I've laid a foundation. It's your salvation experience. It's your relationship with God. It's all the truth that goes with it. It's your position in Christ. It's your identity in Christ. It's been laid, okay? It's done. You, you've got it. The gift is yours. Now, build on it. The foundation is there. Build on it. Build your life on it, okay? Be careful how you do it. Uh, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there's going to be no other way, and there's no other foundation. There's no other salvation to build on. Next slide. If any man builds his foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, he, he's using building materials here. One, one kind is gold, silver, or costly stones. They're very valuable. Now, this isn't about wealth. This is about value. What things are valuable in God's eyes? He's just using something we get. We get gold and silver and costly stones, like diamonds, seem valuable to us. Some things that we do are going to be valuable to God. Some things are going to be like wood, hay, and straw. You know, we like to burn, we like to burn those or... We can feed them to animals, and they, they have some value for us, but they, they don't last like gold and silver. And there are going to be some things that we build, that we do with our lives that aren't going to last. They're just going to be burned up. Uh, his work will be shown for what it is, because the, de- because the day will bring it to light, a future day. And this future day is really the judgment seat of Christ. It's for all believers where your life will be evaluated. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. That's good. There's going to be rewards on this day. Okay, next verse. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping the flames. There's a day coming, the judgment seat of Christ, where we're going to stand before God and you already have, everybody there has the foundation. Everybody has salvation. And we have all those equal uh, inheritance. Everything that goes with it is equal. And some of you are building your lives really well. And they, they have value to God. And God's going to, they're going to last. They're going to show forever. And some of you are wasting some of your life. And those things get burned up. And so when you get to heaven, there's nothing to show for, for that part, for what you do that honors God, and it's just really about obedience, those, those times when you're obeying God, those things 
are valuable to God, and they're going to last. So it does make a difference how we live, but we all have the secure foundation. Does that make sense? That's why the enemy can't beat us. That's why nobody can beat us eternally, all right? Um, this is, you know, we've talked about the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is another look from a different angle. Notice the end, but what does this say about losing your salvation? If, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. Not the loss of your salvation. He himself will be saved. See, it's possible for somebody to be saved and waste their life or at least not do much to honor God. Just understand. That's not the goal, by the way, is just to be saved and I made it, you know. Let's go to C. We have been made citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus. Citizenship was an extremely important thing in the ancient world. In the first century, Rome ruled the day. To be a citizen of Rome was one of the most valuable positions you could have in the world. It was easy if you grew up in Rome. It, it was easy if you grew up in Italy. But to get a Roman citizenship and live in another city wasn't that easy. Philippi, where the Philippians were, was considered a free city in the Roman Empire. People in Philippi had the rights of citizenship because they were a free city, and that was pronounced by the Roman Empire, given to them as a gift by the Roman Empire. They understood the value of Roman citizenship. It gave them, gave them rights and privileges that, that uh, carried throughout the Roman Empire. They could travel safely under the authority of the Roman Empire. They had rights, but if you weren't a Roman citizen, you did not have those rights. Paul was a Roman citizen, and he had rights that took him everywhere in the Roman Empire. The people of Philippi understood exactly what he's saying. You have citizenship in heaven. You have rights and privileges in heaven. It's yours. It's a gift. You have papers that you belong there. And one day you will realize that you're a citizen of heaven as a follower of Christ. D on your outline, we are a light in the Lord, Ephesians 5, 8. Look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. You were once in the sphere of darkness. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Now he's made you light in the Lord. There are implications for this. Live as children of the light. Follow the light of the world. Be in his light. Um, e on your outline, we are a holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. This is going to be new for some of you. I hope it bring, it um, clarifies some confusion here. We are a holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, there was a priesthood, a Levitical priesthood. It was for a selected group of males over the age of 30. So it was male dominant, I think. A priest was a mediator between God and man. If you were going to worship, you needed a priest. And the priest took care of the sacrificial system at the temple. And so you would, to, to worship God at the temple, you would have to go to a priest. And a priest offered sacrifices, uh, animal sacrifices, grain sacrifices that were to be acceptable uh, to God. However... 
Something amazing is happening. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. 5, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Good heavens, you are being built into a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Priests are mediators. You Men and women, male and female, are mediators. You're a priesthood, and you are offering sacrifices to God, spiritual sacrifices. Worship is a spiritual sacrifice. When you give your money to God, that's a spiritual sacrifice. When you offer your body to God, that's a spiritual sacrifice. When you say thank you to God, that's a spiritual sacrifice. We are a priesthood. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a royal priesthood. Royal because you're related to the king of kings. You are a priesthood because you are a mediator. You are to declare the excellencies of God, the praises of him. I like New American Standard here. It says excellencies. You are to give testimony to who God is and what he's done. That's what it means to share your faith. You're a mediator between God and man. And our role is to help people to connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's part of the role of the priesthood. We are mediators, helping people know who Jesus is. Okay, secondly, our position in Christ places us in a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Our position in Christ places us in a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. A, on your outline, we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. We have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is going to be, I'm going to stretch some of you right here. This is going to be new for some of you right here. So hang with me. Pay attention right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Paul is talking about the human body and the body of Christ. The human body and its parts. And he's going to talk about the body of Christ as a spiritual body. Verse 12. This, the body, the human body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Pretty simple. Lots of parts. There's unity. So it is with Christ. Verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. What is he talking about? He's saying all, all who have placed their faith in Christ, all who belong to Christ have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes, this is kind of significant because sometimes it's been taught that baptism of the Holy Spirit is something you get later as a Christian. That's a second work of grace, a sort of a new spiritual high. That's not what the New Testament teaches anywhere. Please show me a verse where that happens. There is no command for anybody to be baptized in the Spirit. Nobody is ever told to be baptized in the Spirit. It's already happened. The Corinthian church was the most carnal church in the New Testament. This wasn't because they were spiritually great. This is just the truth that it was part of their salvation. What is baptism of the Holy Spirit? It means the Holy Spirit 
took you out of the world and immersed you into the body of Christ. And that's how you got connected to the body of Christ in the first place. The only way you got connected was he took you and put you into the body of Christ. And now you are immersed there. You are connected to the church because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He baptized you. Okay? Um, the next passage is Romans 6, 3, and 4. Did we lose our light here? What did we lose? Here we go. I'm going to keep going. There we, go. well, there we are. Gift right back. Thank you, God. Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is not water baptism. We say that water baptism is a picture of this truth that happens when you place your faith in Christ. We were, we were uh, baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we were born again, raised to a new life. This is part of the work of our salvation. Water baptism is a picture of this. This is not some um, new level where I get more power and more grace to live my life. This is something that was just true and part of the gift of my salvation. I am now connected to the body of Christ because of this, this concept here. Um, a lot of you know Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But I live by faith in the Son of God who lives in me. This is co-death, co-crucifixion, uh, co-burial, and co-resurrection. It's a spiritual reality. This may be uh, Christianity 201 right there. This is Christianity 101. B, we've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We've been, been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Stay with me. We're going to land the plane shortly. This stuff is important right here, okay? We've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I hope this brings clarity. There's a lot of confusion right here. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is one of the most confused principles taught in the church. We have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, and 17. This is Jesus. This was the night before his death. It's in the upper room, the Last Supper. He's uh, talking to his disciples. So before his death and before all that's going to come after his death, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you, the disciples, another counselor to be with you forever. Who is it? The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Not in you yet, but will be in you. He has been with you, but not in you. Big difference. The disciples spent time with Jesus. He sent them out on missions, and they did some great things. They healed people. They cast out demons. They taught God's word, and the Holy Spirit was with them. Something happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit that Jesus said he would pray for and the Father would give 
came to be in them. They are changed people. Peter, remember, this very night, Peter denied Jesus three times. He was scared to death. In Acts chapter 2, he walks out in the streets of Jerusalem with boldness and courage and proclaims the gospel and said, you guys killed Jesus. They could have arrested him and crucified him. He's a different man. He's indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's the day the church got started in Acts chapter 2. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 3.16. This is to the church. This is about us. Don't you know, Paul says, that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? That's been the change. It, happened, it began to happen in Acts chapter 2. And as people came to faith after Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came to live in him. Don't you know that you're God's temple? That's where God lives. In the Old Testament, he lived in a physical structure in Jerusalem where they worshiped and did animal sacrifice and where there was a priesthood. Not so in the New Testament. You are the temple, the body. Your body is the temple where God lives, where God resides. And Paul says to the Corinthians, don't you know that? And, you know, he struggled with the Corinthian church a lot because they didn't seem to catch on quickly, as quickly as he hoped they would. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Here's an important implication. Flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a man commits are outside his body, but the sin, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, here's the implication, honor God with your bodies because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit where God lives. You have a new responsibility and it's to honor God with your body. Your, how you use your body does make a difference to God. And he says, Honor God with it. One more. Uh, Romans. Oh, uh, let me do one other comment right here. Honor God with your body. Think about this. Some people hate what God loves. God loves your body. Some people hate what God loves. He loves you the way you are he loves your body the way it is try that on for identity a new identity Uh, romans chapter 8 verse 9 last verse here you however are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the spirit if the spirit of god lives in you and if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to christ spirit of christ the holy spirit lives in those who are true followers of christ if you don't have the holy spirit you don't belong to Christ yet. That's something you need to take care of, which is about knowing that Jesus died for you and you need to respond back by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. I'd be glad to talk to anybody about that subject anytime. It took me a long, long time to understand that and I'm willing to spend a long, long time to help people understand that. Uh, thirdly, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, Second Corinthians 1, 21, and 22. In ancient times, a seal was a mark of authority. The seal was usually done in wax, and it was done by a signet ring. And so letters were sent, and a signet ring could seal the letter 
and uh, in the wax, and you just marked it. And then to open that, o- only the person who has authority to open that, like if your name is on the outside of the letter, could you open that? Jesus' tomb was sealed in wax. The wax is not going to keep anybody from breaking in. But the signet ring from the Roman soldier said, don't you dare break this seal or the authority of the Roman Empire will come down on you and you will be executed promptly if you break the seal. That's how powerful the seal was. They understood that in the first, cu- in the first century culture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Please notice that. God makes you stand firm in Christ. You don't. You don't make yourself stand firm. God does. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He set his seal. You are marked with the Holy Spirit who has sealed you. And this mark and this seal guarantee is a deposit. It's like a down payment. It's like earnest money. And just is just to show you what's coming. Your relationship with the Holy Spirit is just a little taste of what's coming. And um, let's look at the next passage, Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus promised back in John 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glories. There's a lot of stuff right there. But do you see? You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are God's possession. And nobody can mess with the seal. Satan doesn't have authority to mess with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You do not have the authority to take God's seal away. Your words can't take the seal away. Your actions can't take the seal away. You didn't deserve it in the first place. Um, Ephesians 4.30, one quick one here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is one of the implications. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're going to stay sealed until the day of redemption, until Jesus comes to reclaim you. Then he can remove the seal if he wants to. But you, not until then. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit because the way you live can cause him pain. Just like a child can cause a parent pain by disobedience you can grieve the holy spirit you cause him pain when you choose to dishonor god we've been gifted by the holy spirit i need to fly through this one we we're gifted by the holy spirit ephesians 4 7 basically says uh teach one of us grace was given this whole subject here is Grace, gifts, grace is charis, charisma, charismata, right here. Grace, gifts, the discussion that follows is about the gift of apostle, prophets, pastors, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 1 Corinthians 12, next passage. The whole subject of 1 Corinthians 12 is spiritual gifts. It starts that in verses 1 and 2. Verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given 
for common good. He's talking about spiritual gifts right there to each one. Every person in the body of Christ has a spiritual gift. One of your jobs is, is to find out what it is. It's for the common good. It's not for you so that you can feel good and be happy in your Christian life. It's for the body of Christ. It's for the church. Uh, next slide. Um, verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. He gives them to each one just as he determines. He determines who gets what gifts. You don't get to determine what you want. Okay? He determines. It's a sovereign gift of God. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are... Um, divine abilities, God-given supernatural abilities given to people for the purpose of building up his church, to serve, to build up his church. And Romans 12, 6, um, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. And then he goes through a lift, list of gifts there. There are four chapters in the New Testament that have lists of spiritual gifts. All abilities given given at the point of your salvation. You did not have these spiritual gifts before you were born again. On the day you were born again, you were given your gifts. You may not know what they all are yet. Um, if you'd have known me before, you would have never seen me as a pastor teacher. Not in a bloom, not ever. And it just slowly, uh, you know, I have a really thick skull, and it just slowly began to figure it out. It took, it took a few years. I, I'm the kind of person, I had to write a, a major term paper in seminary about spiritual gifts before it started to sink in, which was a lot of study in God's Word. Now, most people, it doesn't take that much work to figure out what your spiritual gifts are, but for me, it did. Um, another one for me is, is evangelism. And boy, I didn't know anything about that until after I became a follower of Christ, and, and then it began to surface. The way you determine your gifts is you get in there and serve, and you walk with Christ, and you find out, what works for you? What you in, there, is, there is enjoyment, and it's very rewarding to serve in the area of your spiritual gifts. Um, some, some things may be really hard for you, and you're probably not spiritually gifted in that area. There are gift inventories you can take. Wise people around you can help advise you that know some things about spiritual gifts. Uh, you can discern some of those that way. Okay, uh, our last point, our position in Christ makes it possible to live for Christ. These are really about the implications. So far, everything we have said pretty much has been about your position in Christ, your identity in Christ, your salvation, all of these truths together. And, and, and your positional truth, there are no commands. We didn't tell you what to do. Because you're sealed in the Spirit, there might be implications, but there's no command. You're gifted in the Spirit. You're, you're, uh, you're a citizen of heaven. You're light in the Lord. You're forgiven. All these things are true, and they make up your salvation. But now we're going to say, so what now? Our position in Christ makes it possible to live for Christ. Uh, first of all, we are to present ourselves totally to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Implications of having this gift is now present yourself totally to God. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brother, brothers, and sisters, by the way. Remember, brothers is a term for male and female. It's not a male term. That's just how we read it. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of your identity in Christ, in view of your position in Christ, 
offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now that you see what God has given you, give yourself back to God. Your body. All that you are. Your mind. All that you are. All your stuff, your possessions. Give them back to God. This is your spiritual spiritual act of worship. You like to worship? Give him everything. Give him your body. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Give him everything. Present your body back to him. B, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wish I wasn't rushed right here because this is one of the most confusing things when you compare, we talk about stuff related to um, the Holy Spirit. We are to be filled. This is a command. I am indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That is not a command. The Holy Spirit indwells me. There is no command. It's a gift, okay? But I am commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, let's look at that. Do not get drunk on wine. Why? Well, because the person who is inebriated is not acting naturally. They're under the influence of chemicals like alcohol. Okay? The issue is who's in control. But instead, be filled with the Spirit because the person who is filled with the Spirit is not acting naturally, but supernaturally under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 is another place that talks about that. Fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, joy, etc. So this is a command. You are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are not, that's being disobedient. It's just that easy, okay? Um, So um, how can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, if God's going to fill you, he wants a clean place. And you need to be cleansed, okay? That's why 1 John 1, 9 is so important. We talk about this, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. God wants a clean place so that he can fill you and control you. And this is a provision, stay back, this is a provision for a believer. This is not for unbelievers. This is a provision for a believer because we, we sin, we fall down, we fail God, and we need to get back up. And this is where we start. We confess our sins. This is a promise. If I tell God I'm sorry and ask him to forgive me, he, God, is faithful. He's faithful to his promises, and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. This is not about salvation. This is about the relationship I have with God, and sin messes up, puts a barrier between me and God. It's not about salvation. I'm still saved, but my communication is broken off, and my heart is not right, and I need to get right with God. And the way, when I confess my sins, I can be cleansed. God guarantees it right there. It's not based on how I feel. It's based on God's promise. Secondly, ask God to fill you with his spirit. You want to be filled with the spirit? Ask God. Make sure you start with a clean vessel, clean heart. Then ask God to fill you. Make sense? You think God will take care of your needs? Let me give you a guarantee. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have, ask of him. Does God want you to be filled with the Spirit? Absolutely. He commanded it. You want to be filled? Ask. Guarantee. Live by faith, folks. The righteous shall live by faith. And I just ask God, and are you filled? Absolutely. If you are a follower of Christ, and you know you're okay with God, and you ask God to fill you, does he answer? Absolutely. Do you believe him? That's what he said. It's living by faith. You don't have to have any big experience. You just need to take, embrace God's word and live. Okay? Last one. We are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16. We are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means where Paul says, I say, live by the Spirit. The Greek word here literally means walk by the Spirit. I like that word walk. That's New American Standard. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We, we use the word Christian walk daily, just steps, I'm walking. I may fall down. Okay, I need to get that right. If I fall down, I need to confess my sin and get back up. And I need to keep taking steps, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do I do that? I just need to be filled. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I want God to control me. He is by faith and God works through me. And he uses me, and I can count on that, and I can trust him. Um, So, if you are a follower of Christ, your identity in Christ is secure. Your foundation is secure. Live your life and build on that. Um, Romans 12.1, God wants you to give your life back to him. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit, but he wants to fill a clean vessel. And if you ask God to fill you, he absolutely will fill you. He promises to answer according to his will. You know absolutely it's his will that you be filled and controlled by his spirit. So I want to close simply by giving us a chance. If you want to be filled with the spirit, I'm going to give you a chance uh, to ask God to fill you with the spirit this morning. And so let's just bow in prayer. I want you just to take a minute And think back over your life this morning. Is there anything you want to confess to God privately and silently right now? Anything that you want to be cleansed from in your life this morning? Because we have this promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. That's a promise. If you confess... He forgives. Count on it. Now ask God right now, just silently from your heart, to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Tell God you want him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. You want him to be in control. You want Jesus to be Lord in your life. Say, God, here I am. All I I am is yours. I yield to you. I want to walk by the power of your spirit day by day. Now, if you've asked God to fill you right now, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to count on that. I want you to be confident in that. And you just keep asking for his help. And when you fail, you just ask him to forgive you. Thanks, Father, for the secure foundation we've been set on. 
Thank you for all that Jesus has done for you, for us. And Father, help us to learn to live in response to you in showing our love to you. For Jesus' sake, amen.